an engineer and uh, I'm not a software developer. I'm a business person in love with uh, scaling and therefore that's why I'm so passionate about the way this AI technology is evolving, especially in the last years. So that is why this episode, I want to dedicate it a little bit to the scaling laws, why they mattered so much so far to the evolution of the AI industry. And I'm going to do it by looking at the transformer-based architecture, which was really this sort of paradigm shift that generated the current AI revolution that we're living right now. Back in 2017, a paper came out which was called Attention is all you need. This was a paper from uh, Google researchers, which is a little bit of a paradox if you think that uh, right now the players that have been able to dominate this industry in this initial stage were actually OpenAI with the partnership with, uh, with Microsoft. So again, Microsoft was not uh, an early comer, actually it was a little bit late when he placed a bet or it started to be like a commercial partnership with the OpenAI in 2016, and then it placed a $1 billion bet in 2019. Compared to, to Google that had been looking into the industry for years and it had invested into DeepMind in 2014, and also Facebook that actually at the time was trying to also acquire DeepMind. But the interesting part is we're only at the beginning of this race to AI, to the AI industry. And uh, as I explained in previous episodes, actually, we're going to see most probably multiple large players who will build the foundational layers. We might have, you know, three, four main players at the foundational layer. And the reason why, as I explained, it's because this transformer-based architecture that, again, was uh, started with a paper in 2017 called Attention is All You Need, that actually explained uh, how with this new transformer-based architecture that inside had uh, you know, an uh, attention mechanism that could actually direct the, the AI to learn much quickly, much more quickly with uh, an unsupervised approach. This transformer-based architecture was, was quite interesting because it led to the evolution of the current AI industry in a few directions. First, of course, they, need, they understood that once this transformer-based architecture was working at a very small scale, like for instance, uh, the release of the first language models, this could be probably tested at uh, wider scales. So they could see if by increasing the parameters into the, those models, this architecture, and by actually using more data, better data, training those models for longer, they could get more capabilities out of those models. Incredibly, incredible, uh, incredibly enough, this thing worked. However, it required a huge amount of computational power. And since this technology became, this architecture became about scaling, in order for you to be able to scale those models, you needed to partner up with those companies who had the infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure, to actually build up what's called a supercomputer or an AI supercomputer, which simply 
is an infrastructure is able to uh, you know handle a lot of um, computational power to actually pre-train those models. So this evolution is extremely important because you already understand that the way this technology works and the way it can enhance its capability led to a consolidation toward large technological players. Because if you didn't have, of course, um, a supercomputer underlying this model, especially for the iterations, uh, the next iterations, because you can still build a small uh, you know, generative model with probably little computing resources. But let's say that you want to actually scale this up. You want to actually create further iterations. You're going to need a supercomputer in order for you to do it. And that led to, with, the, with the first partnership uh, between you know, uh, Azure and OpenAI back in 2016, which consolidated in 2019 with a bet of a billion from Microsoft and then with a bet probably of 10 billion from Microsoft in uh, 2023. So this is the interesting part. Scaling created certain properties in terms of uh, you know, the business architecture that you want to have in order to be able to build those models, which again is moving toward a foundational layer where we might have a few key players that consolidate around this foundational layer because you need to have a supercomputing capability that not all companies can have. So a very small number of companies can have. And those companies, we can count them, you know, uh, very, very easily. I mean, those are very, like probably five or 10 companies around the world, comprising companies like Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, and so forth. Now, uh, other few points about this transformer-based architecture and why it's so important. And you also the interesting part about it and the, the scaling factor of this architecture is the fact that as you were scaling, this transform-based architecture, you could hope that you will get things and capabilities that you didn't have at smaller scale. So you get what's called what are called emergent uh, capabilities or properties, meaning that those are the result of scale, and you could not forecast, so you cannot predict what those capabilities would be unless you do the scaling. That's the interesting part. What are some of those uh, emergent properties which are some of the most interesting? Let me toggle three of them. First of all, let me toggle the, uh, the fine-tuning approach, which is the human in the loop uh, fine-tuning approach, which is a supervised learning um, you know, approach that is done after that the model has been pre-trained, as I will explain. Then we got prompt engineering, or if you wish, further uh, you know, evolution of that, which we can call prompt hacking. And then a third element, a third emergent property and capability, which is extremely interesting, is actually in-context learning. Let me explain the three of them. The first one, which is, you know, um, sort of supervised human in the loop, fine-tuning, it was what made ChatGPT possible in the first place. Meaning that with fine-tuning, usually is a process where you can enable a large language model to become very good at specific tasks once it has become good at very generic tasks. Now, the main issue is, uh, uh, is that, uh, you know, the interesting part is that the whole software paradigm with AI changed because with the transformer-based architecture, you didn't need to express specific goals for AI. You just needed to actually structure the, the AI model so that it would predict the next text in the sequence, which is what a language model does. That's why when we say, you know, ChatGPT, 
uh, is not factual, is not grounded, is because it's not what it, it needs to be in terms of goal, in terms of output when the model is actually pre-trained. Meaning that the model is actually a language model, like, uh, you know, GPT is trained in order to do like a prediction, text-to-text -text prediction. So it needs to actually make sense of the next token. So the next words that is actually, uh, next words or text, if you want, pieces of text that are coming out uh, from, um, from the output of the language model. So if you think about it, the goal of the, the language model itself is not that of being like truthful or grounded or like, uh, you know, unbiased. So how do you smooth these uh, things thing out? Because of course, when you have a model who has been uh, pre-trained, it may be extremely powerful. It may be able to do a lot of things. It may be able to hallucinate a lot, which may be good from a, a creativity standpoint because, uh, you know, hallucination may lead to a lot of, uh, uh, you know, outcomes which move very far from the expected one. And therefore it may lead also to, to of course, bad things and also positive things. You, in order for you to actually make those models good at specific tasks, you fine tune them. What, what it means you fine-tune the model? Well, you use uh, a supervised uh, human-in-the-loop approach where with uh, labeling the data and actually uh, performing a, a task by the humans, the machine can actually replicate their output. And based on the output uh, that is going to be compared between like the human and the machine, the machine can learn how to actually change its, uh, its um, you know, objectives, goals, and actually it's, it's outputs to match more what the human is doing. For instance, with ChatGPT, there was a model called InstructGPT where humans would, some of the things that they've done is where humans would write an answer to a prompt. So you have the machine who is actually giving an answer to the prompt. And then there is the human who is giving an answer to the prompt. Now the machine learns from the human uh, written prompts so that it can generate better and more specific outcomes out of these uh, of this model so that is more truthful is more grounded and uh, it, it uh, is able to handle more uh, edge cases so this is one fine tuning the second one as i said is uh, actually prompt engineering which is one of the most interesting aspect of the the current uh, you know language models so anything that we do today works through with the AI models works through a prompt meaning that you give a uh, uh, an instruction to the machine in a natural language format and the machine is going to generate an output. Depending on the kind of prompt that you give to the machine, so the kind of description that you give to the machine in order for the output that it needs to generate, it can change the output uh, uh, quite a lot, meaning that the way you change the wording in the prompt can change substantially the output of the machine. And that's quite interesting. I already discussed in a dedicated episode, episode to prompt engineering how prompt engineering is the new coding and how this might be in part into the interface of products that we design for users. If a user on the other side, for instance, is an enterprise user, so imagine the case of an enterprise product that needs to be used by a very highly uh, specialized person in a company like a software engineer or an IT person. In that case, it may be that that person is going to have access to prompt, en uh, prompt uh, engineer engineering or at least a part of it into the product because it's going to enable that person to actually customize that product, enterprise product for the workflow within the organization. I also said though that most probably what happens for consumer 
based applications of AI, uh, prompt engineering might be hidden in the interface, meaning that there is a specific journey designed for the user and uh, the prompt, the prompting is going to be done in the backend. So it's going to be done in the UI, in the, in the backend of the interface. It's not going to be visible to the user, but it's going to be a way to actually customize the model for the result for the user. Now, if, uh, for instance, you have an AI consumer application where prompt engineering is happening in the backend, uh, where there is no control of the prompt on the user side, how do you actually make sure that, um, that uh, you know, the AI is relevant and is very customized? Because this is the revolution that AI is promising right now. You know, I can give you customized health, I can give you customized uh, coaching, I can give customized uh, uh, legal advice, whatever. So there is, the way to do it is through is by using a mixture of prompting and in-context learning, which is the third element. In-context learning means that is another emergent property which is extremely interesting that tells you that the AI model can actually learn uh, you know, how to customize its uh, output based on the uh, context uh, where the model is sitting. So imagine the case again that uh, you have a, a model like Stable Diffusion running on an iPhone, uh, Stable Diffusion, you know, packaged as a whatever AI app, and it can actually access the data of the user. And based on that data, it can customize uh, the, you know, the, the whole experience of the user so that it's going to get um, uh, an uh, AI app that is going to be able to actually give to the user, the final user, a uh, very personalized experience, meaning that each user is going to have a different experience. Uh, the web already you know, made us move in that direction, giving a much more customized experience uh, to users, yet it didn't move in the direction of uh, enabling users to actually have a personalized experience at the point where each user has a different experience, which is what in-context learning can do. Now, the interesting part is in-context learning can happen at actually uh, once the model connects with the data on a device, meaning that to make this whole thing work, it doesn't, uh, the data doesn't have to actually flow back to the provider, like just in the case of the advertising-based business model, where you have Google or Facebook, which are gathering a huge amount of data, and then they might be using or not this data to actually get repackaged and sold in a way or another to customize the service. The interesting part is, is to customize a service, the data might connect to the model, to the large model within the device and the data may not leave the device and in context learning happens on top of the device that's why also why in context learning it's so interesting again just to recap by uh, large language models transformer based architecture was you know a huge paradigm shift a revolution it's both right now is enabling ai to do incredible things today we don't know until which this paradigm will work and until which scale will enable ai to get better and better in terms of capability and if we're going to be able to actually handle the sort of scale that uh, the ai requires right now this kind of architecture requires right now to get better and better However, there are like three elements that made this architecture so interesting and some of those elements are related to emerging capabilities, meaning that those were things that emerged as a result of scaling up those models. One element of this was in part uh, what we can call, you know, fine tuning with human in the loop, where, you know, they learned that as they were scaling those models, those models could be the output of those models after they've been pre-trained could be drastically improved with a very small uh, data set 
that would be human curated that would enable the machine learning model, a generalized model to actually learn and become very good at specific tasks. So you take, for instance, a general model like GPT-3, you make it good at translations or like languages, whatever, by using a small data set of, uh, you know, uh, examples. That's one, one way to do it. The other point is about prompt engineering. Again, the ability to actually change dramatically the output of the machine based on the natural language instruction that we give to the machine, which, is, which was another result of scale, an incredible result, another emergent property. And a third element, as I said, is in context learning. In context learning where you can actually customize a very personal level the experience of the user without having the data ever leaving the device of the user. Those three things together and this whole architecture is actually changing the whole paradigm for software and for also the business architecture of the web as, as, as we thought it, meaning that right now the data doesn't need necessarily uh, need to move from your device back to a provider in order for you actually to, for the experience to be customized at best. Uh, it, the data can be can stay there. Therefore, things like attribution models for AI and then identity identity verification that uh, enable like on the one side to to AI creators to monetize the this AI content, and then on the other side enable users to actually uh, really uh, you know uh, customize their experience as those models are plugged into their devices can be really transformational. And this is really a paradigm shift also in terms of business architecture for the web and therefore also business modeling and the kind of ecosystem that can be created around it.